Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, my friend Scott Weiss. You're listening oh. to the Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes, the show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. We are revenue ops with a edge. God, stuck. Jamie, Jason, KG, and myself, Pete, have a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Today we have as guests, and I use the term uh, loosely, Scott Lease and Richard Harris. Scott and Richard co-founded the Surf and Sales Podcast and Sales Conference in 2017. Scott Lease is the CEO and founder of Scott Lease Consulting and is a six-time sales leader, three-time founder, and three-time author. Scott has a proven track record of lifting organizations to new heights with limited resources allocated to the task at hand. Richard Harris is the founder of the Harris Consulting Group and brings over 20 years of technology and SaaS experience in sales training operations and sales leadership into his role as a sales consultant. Some of the clients he's helped are Zoom, Google, DoorDash, and many more. But before we get to Scott and Richard, this episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a doodle of your noodle, which is a brain map. Hey, the season's almost over in football. You want to see what happened when you got knocked around? Get a baseline to compare it to. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain checkup. Schedule an appointment now at neuronoodle.com. KG. <laughs> yes, Pete. I thought the dryer was shrinking my clothes. Turns out it was the refrigerator all along. Leave us some <laughs> comments on our blog at sassholes.net. KG, you got any shout outs, my friend? I do have some shout outs here. A couple of nice guys shout outs. Happy birthday to Hershey Barber. You're my favorite Hershey Barber. And uh, Alicia Callen, formerly uh, Alicia Andrade. She was at uh, business.com way, way, way back when. Ryan Harris. He's a closer and happy birthday to him. And Anthony Amato, he just, uh, I don't know, I think he turned like 48 on uh, on Monday. And then uh, some business ones. I know he's old like us. And then uh, congratulations to Carrie Gleason for starting as a new sales manager, practice sales at RX Advantage. She's working with one of my favorites, Lauren Delfino. And here's one that popped up recently. Congratulations to Jamie Buss. For starting a new position as uh, chief revenue officer at Articulate Women in Leadership. Yes, let's do it. Articulate. Ronnie Gurian, COO at Clio. Interesting. Ronnie boy, nice to see you. Look at you, my friend. Danny Walsh, one year at InMarket, and Alex Wall, two years at the LinkedIn. Hey, old school Ron Heyman from the Headhunter.net days, one year at Amazon Web Services. Scott Richard, K- KG, how do you know these guys? Well, I met these uh, these two individually, and uh, I met Richard first actually through Open View Venture Partners, VC firm on the on the East Coast there, and he was leading sales ops, and I was leading sales for a for a company that that was both invested by uh, by Open View. We learned we were fraternity brothers, uh, but also shared a passion for uh, for sales and sales process there, and uh, and we we hit it off and. Uh, I've stolen stolen some shit from him. He's stolen some shit from me, uh, namely shit my sales managers used to say. But actually, I freely gave it to him, and I and I love that he he's taken it and run with it. And then uh, the Scott Lee story is I, Scott. I don't know if you remember this one. I was uh, talking to a guy by the name of Rob Feinstein who was at Outbound Engine. He was like yeah. leading product, and I used to work for Rob at Business.com. And he goes, "You got to meet this guy. You're good." 
but you got to meet this guy, Scott Lease. He literally wrote the book on sales. He's a badass. And, uh, and we were in the process of, uh, at ZipRecruiter, we were in the process of opening up a new office in, uh, in Arizona and from moving from Santa Monica. And I was hoping to pick Scott's brain about uh, how to do that, do that well and not fuck that up. And uh, Scott was free with his time. But then it turned out that we just started hiring all his ex-salespeople. <laughs> And, uh, and so that was uh, just such a small world, you know, for uh, for Richard and, and, uh, why, and Scott. Why, why were you hired? Were they Scott's cast offs, or were no, because, they... be, because I because I left. Oh. I, I left, and then you know, right. it's people, the, it's the people great looked for people looked for a new safe haven, and so indirectly, I feel responsible for ZipRecruiter's IPO. So I also I also think you know theoretically, and Scott's going to run with this is that. Because I've seen this happen everywhere. Scott's actually the creator of the Great Resignation. Every time he leaves, <laughs> every time he leaves, people leave. Like it's it's true though. Like Scott's, you know, it's it's funny and sad, but it's true. Like I've seen so many companies take steps back because they don't recognize Scott's greatness. So there, I said it for you, Scott. Oh. I, well, so to, this is for being recorded, Richard. So they, so they actually do leave because of their leadership. It's, so it's people don't leave companies; they leave their bosses. And in right. this instance, the boss leaves, and right. they leave. It's sort well, of they, a little they bit leave of, the new boss. They leave the new boss. There right. you go. How does a psychology guy get into sales? Like, what's well, Scott? long, long, complicated uh, story. Actually, you know, I, <clears throat> I was. Going to school, I, I played two sports in college and had a full ride for soccer and tennis. And, uh, you know, in between playing sports and taking bong hits and having beers and everything else that you do in, in school, I just was looking to study something that I thought was interesting. And at the time, you know, understanding more about people and psychology, and I have a minor in religious studies, you know, I was just kind of learning this stuff and I didn't really have any mind for a uh, you know, business or career or anything like that. And um, ended up going to grad school at Arizona State and, and getting a master's degree in, in learning and instructional technology. Uh, still didn't really know like what I was going to do with my career. And then I got super, super sick. And unfortunately, I spent four years in the hospital fighting for my life. Autoimmune diseases, ulcerative colitis, colon cancer, got addicted to opioids in the process from dealing with oh, pain. Man. So it took me over four years to, I had nine surgeries, four major abdominal surgeries, two life-saving surgeries. It took me 40 plus years to like come out of that, right? So now I'm 27 years old. I've honestly never really had a job that didn't involve getting paid to play sports or coach sports. And it's like, what the fuck do I do? You know, and I had a friend who ironically enough um, was working for Richard at the time, a friend of mine from my college tennis team who said like, Hey, you know, maybe you should try sales. Like there's a lot of people who, you know, don't even have a college degree who go into sales and the people hire people with no experience and you're super competitive. Like maybe that would be a thing. So that that's, that's what I did. I, I, you know, got a job at a early stage startup and you're forgetting the most important thing. Well, the most important part is, is that Richard wouldn't, take an interview with me because he told my friend that, uh, you know, I had no experience and all this kind of stuff. So he kind of thumbed his nose at me, but the story ends up coming full circle later on, but you know, lo and behold, like nowadays, I think, and, and I'd have to ask people a lot younger than us, but 
I think they tell you like, go get a psychology degree, understand behavior, yes. how people think, and then go get an MBA and round out everything. You got the best of both worlds, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody told me that. I wasn't mm -hmm. thinking that way. Um, but it turns out that having a psych degree, you know, has been really good, not just for selling, but also for leading people, I think. Now, we've just had Jan Wilkie on the show uh, just, just last week. Uh, you guys know her at all? Just curious. Sure do. Yeah, yeah. She was the very first sales rep that I ever had when I was at Main Street Hub in the year 2010. And uh, she went from sales rep to senior sales rep to sales manager to running sales ops for me. And then we took a little hiatus from each other for a few years and then she was the very first hire that I made when I uh, took over at SVP of sales at Qualia. I hired her to run sales and revenue ops for me. Uh, and she's been there uh, ever since. Interestingly enough, one night I'm in San Francisco at an event for, for sales hacker. And I sit down to this person next to this woman and start chatting her up. And I'm like, and we realize that we know Scott uh, mutually. So we call Scott and he's like, how do you guys know each other? So it's just, it's really weird how a lot of things that Scott and I do turn serendipitous. Um, <laughs> granted, world. now it's more often just because we're already sort of in the ecosystem. But when we were sort of starting that part of our growth, um, I wouldn't even say we knew we were branding each other. I would just, you know, we were just growing our thoughts. Um, it happened interesting in interesting ways. Well, we get a lot of new reps, a lot of new leaders that uh, listen to this show. And then we have a lot of veterans that we used to work with that hop on and, you know, laugh at us to hear what we have to say. How do you guys uh, motivate uh, your your people? I see a lot of stuff about motivation in you guys. Uh, do, you, do you Can you actually motivate people or you get to hire it in? I think the motivation, you know, it comes in a couple of different ways. One is compensation. Um, that's got to be a piece of it. Uh, the other is and, and it's happening more and more now, I should say it's becoming more common to talk about is, is really being vulnerable as a leader. Every person who I've ever been really successful with, if I think about my best reps, they were either A, massively self-motivated and really actually wanted me to get out of their way, mm -hmm. or there were people who really like to have connections and look for a, a reason. And I think that was me even as a rep. Like I always looked for people and to some extent it was too much of a fault for me that I was sort of always looking for this. Look, I've done enough therapy to know that I was always looking for this love that my father never gave me like <laughs> pats on the back and stuff like that. And so I think that really affected my management style, um, which made it hard for me to manage those highly motivated people. Like I, I probably would not have had a good relationship with Scott had I hired him based now that I know Scott. Why is that? Are you saying like he, he won't listen to you? No. <laughs> He's not going to take that mentorship from no, no, you? No, like, what? no, no, no. I think that um, Scott's so inherent and, I, and this is genuine. Scott is very inherently intuitive about the human being that I saw management more transactional and I think that I would not have been able to make that connection. And I know, mm -hmm. I do know enough about Scott at this point to know that he's always kind of measuring his ability against the people above him and then uses that to motivate him to be better than that person. Mm -hmm. And not, and I don't mean that in a negative way. That's, that's, that's what I mean by someone who's self-motivated. Mm -hmm. And I probably would have felt unsafe 
And I think that has a lot to do with where my maturity was back at that time, mm. you know, 15 years ago and stuff like that. So, so that's how I see it. Um, but Scott may have a different opinion. He may, you know, I may be jading Scott's knowledge of now and thinking he was that smart back then, you know, but. Um, Scott, do you think, you think, uh, you think salespeople are that uh, coin operated? I mean, Richard started with the compensation piece there and, and frankly, I think it's horseshit. <laughs> I just think that it has changed. So I don't, I don't think that it's horseshit. I think you, you got to remember, and I'm going to get the dates wrong. So I'm just going to poke fun at Richard a little bit, but like when Richard was a VP of sales and building and scaling sales teams, um, the world was a lot different. It looked a lot different then. Okay. And, and the mindset and mentality was a lot more coin operated. You didn't have Gen Z and, and millennials who cared about things like learning and development and growth operation and, and that kind of stuff. Right. So I think what Richard is defaulting to is a lot of like his experience. And, and frankly, I think a lot of people still feel that way and they're terrified to admit it. Because I think that they're a little worried, like, you know, the mob is going to come after them and be like, you shouldn't be in sales. You're not allowed to be money motivated. Like, bullshit. Yes, I am. But that's not the only thing that motivates me. And most importantly to me is every single person on your team is motivated by something different. Yeah, that's right. And that's the key. If you want to motivate people, like you have to understand who these people are and you have to weasel your way into their lives to an extent where I know what KG wants. I know what JM wants. I know what Richard wants. I know what Pete wants. I know what Scott wants. And all those things are different, right? Somebody wants experience. Somebody wants mentorship. Somebody wants cash. Somebody is motivated by just being the best. Somebody wants recognition. Some other person has a massive chip on their shoulder and how can I use that to keep them motivated? It always just circulates back to the why. Like, why are you here? Who are you right now? And where do you want to go? And what do you want to become? And why? And then I pushed beyond that to get into specifics. So like, why do you want to earn $250,000? What are you going to do with that money? You want to buy a house? What neighborhood do you want to buy the house in? How much does that cost? Is it a fixer upper? How much do you have to drop in a down payment? And then how much you're going to have to do to redo the roof, right? Okay. How much deals do you have to close every single quarter in order to save this particular mm-hmm. amount? Scott, just, Scott, Scott, just shut the fuck up. Get back on the phone, man. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, but you're, but and, that, that, and that is, that's an example of the old school coin operated man totally. right there right but but no, here's sometimes the thing. it works though but sometimes it works but the uh the point i'm making uh and i'm not trying to shit on richard of course but um care. a compensation plan is a secure like that's your security like you, you've got that that's you know uh what do you call it foundation you got to have a decent commission plan comp plan otherwise you you don't have this level of security that uh, that that you need and whether that's lots of base or less base or, or or whatever but if we took that compensation plan Scott and Richard and we increased it by 20% do we get 20% more more motivation the answer is no because you've got to go deeper like Richard was saying and Scott you're saying the same thing in a way <laughs> we we've got to go we've got to go deeper and Richard you said be vulnerable and i love the fact that you talk about being being vulnerable because as a sales leader, if you can, you know, you don't have to be that tough person and have all the answers. And if you can say, sorry, 
you're actually going to gain some respect from your people when, when you make mistakes uh, and, and you really have their true interests in mind. Like you're, re- I care about you. We talked about this a couple of episodes ago with Amos Schwartzfarb. I think Scott, you know Amos. If you truly demonstrate that you care for the people that report to you and you have those conversations about what their future looks like, and maybe they are trying to buy a house or maybe they're trying to go on a Bali vacation or, or whatever it might be, but, but care, truly demonstrate that you care about them. That's going to create motivation with your, with your sales team. And some people are just not wired to be loving like that. And yeah, I use the word love. Yeah. Some people are not wired to be loving like that. I wasn't that wired for it. And even now, like I, I was joking and interrupting Scott because it, it would be funny, but like this thought of Scott of me sitting here having to ask that question, like that felt exhausting to me, like as a leader and a manager. And it's for me, I've had to unlearn that and recognize to do it where for Scott, it's very natural. And I think it's, it's, it is one of the beauties of, of our friendship is that Scott teaches me those kinds of things. And then there are other pieces where I, you know, I think we said before we hit the recording, like I sort of help a little bit on the business side to keep him focused where he's got that creative mind. And I come in and sort of like, okay, but to do that, we got to do this and this and this, which then annoys the shit out of him equally. But I was not wired that way. Like I just wasn't, you know, and I've had to learn that skill. And I think I've gotten better at it. Probably, probably more, probably gotten way better at it since I've been a consultant where I actually don't manage people. People have said, Richard, why don't you grow your business? Why don't you hire someone? Why? I don't want to fucking manage anybody. I don't want to go through that. You know, Scott's, Mm -hmm. you know, I've got a couple of like part-time people, which I couldn't do what I do without them. But the thought of actually having an employee and going and getting insurance and like, you know, drives me totally. So when I asked about motivation, one of the first words that came out of uh, your mouth was compensation. Do you think we'll ever see a world where you have salespeople and there's no longer pay at risk? It's full salary. You're paying a market wage. 100% 100% salary. If they, if you have a, a sales lead and they bring in more money than they get paid more salary and get rid of this pay at risk, uh, no. what do you guys think? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it's, I think it's so inherent. And I think that the war on talent, you know, that we're hearing about now is only going to get worse, right? We've been saying for years, oh, what happens when the boomers retire? Well, they're actually finally retiring. Like they really are. And there's not enough people behind them yet. Uh, the good news is, is that I think we've built a stronger stable of people who do want, when they do stay and come into sales, they'll want to stay if they like it. I know the SDR function, I don't think it's going to be right for everybody, but there's now a lot of people who you could go hire. I mean, all three of us, you know, like I, it frustrates me when I hear people say, well, you don't have experience. You've only been in SDR. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? There was no such thing really as an SDR back in the day. You just hired people. And guess what you had to do as a leader? Get to fucking manage them and train them and teach them. I, I, that noise drives me nuts. So I, and I also think that the companies who want to grow, they're going to pay more. And if you give reps a base salary that's too big, too many of them are going to get lazy then I think you would affect the ecosystem in a very negative way over the long haul. Is that a leadership problem? Yes. So I'm totally. saying if it's a war, I guess where I'm coming from is if it's a war for talent, why would somebody want to take a 60% risk or 0% risk, right? Somebody's paying a full market wage. That That's a long, if I'm understanding your question. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a leader and I'm going to hire someone and pay them 200 grand instead of, you know, 125 plus, you know, 75 base. Great. Well, I'll see you in six months and see if it worked for you. Right. Um, it might work maybe, 
you know, um, the, the thought is, and it's been a while since I saw any new research, but the thought is, is that Gen Z coming behind the millennials is way more transactional because of the financial crisis. They're way more like Gen X. To your point, that high base may work, but, it, you know, you still have the same problem is if people don't perform. I don't know, Scott, right. what do you think? Like, we've never talked about this topic. It's a great question. I think it's inevitable that people give it a try. I, whether or not it sticks and, and works, I don't know about that um, for a lot of the reasons that, that you mentioned, but I think it's inevitable because you're talking about a war on talent and salaries have gone up 20 to 30% already. And, and I would say in the last six months, I'm not even talking about like start of pandemic to now, in the last six months, 20 to 30%. So yeah. to me, it's inevitable. It's inevitable if I'm desperately trying to win a war on talent and I need to hire a fairly large sales floor, like Kevin had at, at a ZipRecruiter, for example, it's inevitable that one or two companies, three or four, whatever, somebody's going to try. And instead of paying 75, 75 with 150 OTE, some company is going to say, I'm going to pay you 150K straight away. No commission, just like that's your salary. You do your fucking job. Here's your quota. You hit your quota and, and the dynamic will, will change. And whether or not the employees who are on the market rush towards that type of opportunity or stay away, you know, remains to be seen. But I think a lot of people will go try it out and experiment with it. Mm -hmm. And I've, it will be very interesting to see if it, if it works. And if it does uh, work, you, it's Scott, a would you do hold, it? hold on, hold on, Richard. Don't make me hit the mute button on you again. <laughs> if it does work, it's a copycat league, like every other league and every other sport. What works for one, it's copied and tried by another. So if people pull it off and it works, I think that more people will try it. That's right. I think there needs to be, uh, I totally agree, Scott, by the way, somebody's going to have to test it. Um, and two things I think have to exist. Number one, a wonderful career path, a well-defined career path where somebody who wants to make more can control that just like they control earning commissions. So I, I blow my quota out of the water, you know, three out of six quarters or whatever it is, and I get a promotion to the next level. And now my guarantee is 175,000 bucks and that, you know, on up the line. So I think that that would be number one. Number two, a very well-defined performance management system. And I love this concept and Pete and I have talked about it before and had a guest on the show that really advocates for this. The, the, the piece that I can't, I can figure, I can see this in a transactional high velocity type of environment where you're closing deals in 45 days or less. Okay. I can see that. Enterprise sales, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that unless you make the performance management purely on quality pipeline. And, uh, you know, that you can get rid of people early on if they don't meet pipeline milestones and you really quality pipeline milestones early on. So I'm not, I'm not convinced that this work would work on the enterprise sales, but certainly no, that was my question because you got to pay so much upfront right now, right? Yeah. Like you're already kind of doing that. And mm -hmm. if you're not careful, someone could coast for six months or a year, year and a half on, you know, where it's an 18 month sales cycle. And, and I've seen that too, you know, where I've seen that is, is, you know, uh, a great enterprise rep comes in and they do a great job and then they ride the, yeah, but I closed American express two years ago. Right. Yeah. But uh, what's going on? Uh, Scott, I have a question though. Would you do it? Would you try it? Would you experiment with it? And KG, I would say the same thing. Yeah. to you. Like, would you? I already have. 
So uh, what happened? Well, you, you may or may not remember, but to, to Kevin's point about performance managing around quality pipeline, I did that at Qualia in 2016 and 2017 as a way to bring talent my way. We were selling a super complicated product in an antiquated industry that had never been sold to this way. It was almost like my way of making it easy as possible for you to earn variable comp without having to close a deal. So I comped that way for over a year until we had kind of figured it out. I felt like I could ramp people faster enough to, to close deals. I think I, I think I remember that because I was asking how long does it take to ramp and you're like six weeks. And I'm like, oh my God, that must be wonderful. Like, because yeah. we were so used to this 10 day yeah. kind of thing. So yeah. And, th- and then I had a, a channel team that I paid in full to no commission. This is like 2017, 2018 ish, maybe. I think we paid them 90 to 110 or so years. I couldn't get away with paying people that now, but that was like probably what their OTE would have been, you know, like a 60, 120 type of a split. So we just paid them all, you know, that we performance managed them around relationships and uh, opportunities kind of uh, either opened or, or touched. I'm about to do it again because I'm, I'm about to make my, well, I have made my first ever hire, full-time hire for my business. And I'm paying a extremely high number and there's no quota attached to it. So, you know, we'll see. Well, if the rep has 0% risk, that means you have 100% control of what they have to do. And if you made a bad hire, you know, in six weeks, you can tell them to hit the road versus the pay at risk model. You got a zombie for six months. And that's on me. I mean, listen, don't forget the piece that's like, if I hire you for 250K and instead of 120 base with 120 variable, like, do you really want to lose that fucking job? Why, why would somebody want to leave that? Assuming, you know, in other areas, all things being equal, they're treated well and, you know, taken care of and stuff like that. But like, I, I don't think people will be as apt to leave as they are right now. Right. You get a 120, 120 gig right now, and you're leaving if somebody offers you 150, 300. Okay. So now let's flip it. And I get this 250 all in. That's my payment, you know, every year, no matter what. Like somebody else is going to have to guarantee me. You see what I'm saying? Or I'm not going to be as likely to leave. I think people will fight like hell to stay more than they do now. So these lazy kind of people that we're talking about, like, sure, those will always exist. They will self-select themselves out of those kind of roles and those kind of hires. I won't hire that person. We'll sniff them out. But we will find the people who want to stick and who love that kind of security. Mm-hmm. I, I, think it's po- I think it's possible. Do I know? Sure. Do I think it's going to work? I don't know. But I do think it is possible. Let's talk kickoffs. That's something that always <laughs> that, that that is something that always stuck in my craw. I'm I'm biting my nails. January, the busiest, the best time of the year, and then we would take the reps off of the floor for a week, pay a couple hundred grand to a speaker, and we we kick off the year a week down in activity. I'm just I'm just curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are on that. Well, I'm going to kick it quickly over to Scott and, and, and Richard, but let, let me just put it this way. I, I have found that those are, they just end up being drunken boondoggles and just too much time off the phone. And then you get these assholes on the floor. They're like, well, you got to adjust my quota because I was off the floor for three days. I'm like, wow, you just taught me something. So, so I, I actually, and the effort, the effort that goes into sales kickoffs versus the return that I actually get out of it. Um, 
I'm a huge fan. No, I'm kidding. Not, not so much, but, uh, but Scott and Richard, what, what, what you say. Go for it, Scott. This is his passion. <laughs> it's not my, it's not my passion. No, Richard and I actually just did uh, an entire event talking about sales kickoffs uh, kind of put on by Salesforce. And we had a couple other sales leaders, Niraj and, uh, and Chloe Stewart um, join us. And we, we talked about all this and my, my issue is what did people on your team actually want and need? If we want to send them someplace for a sales kickoff, then let's just give them the time off. We don't need to shove training or something like that down their throat. Yeah, you're taking people off the phone and activity is down. And, you know, Kevin doesn't like hearing about their pipe, their uh, number should go down, but like it should go down. In my, in my, in my opinion, if we're going to, if we're going to do that. And I think people just misappropriate, like when the right time is for SKOs. Like if you're an early stage startup, get the fuck out of here with your SKO. Like that makes no sense to me. If you're Oracle or Salesforce or IBM or something like that, like, okay, fine. But I was a VP of sales six times over across almost 20 years. I never had a sales kickoff once, not once. I didn't put one on myself. I never hired somebody for it. It just seemed unnecessary to me. Um, so I'm not a huge, huge fan of them. I'm, I'm a much larger fan of like giving my team what they really need. You know what people probably need right now? Time off, time away, time to heal, time to travel because they haven't done it. And maybe now that they're able to give them a discount on their their number for, for a quarter or something like that. If they want training, you can make it available to them when they are able to access it an on demand kind of way. So, and, and Richard and Naraj kind of disagreed with me, you know, on this, this is like Richard's moneymaker, right? So give the counter argument. <laughs> no. So Scott, thanks for trying to throw me under the bus. No, it's not my moneymaker. Um, I don't do a lot of kickoffs. My whole thing around the kickoff is understanding what it is you're trying to get out of it. Mm-hmm. If someone says, you know, people, on the occasion, people actually ask me to come do a kickoff. I will ask them what else is going on? How many days is it? And then I will tell them, look, you can pay me, but it's a colossal waste of your time and money to do any sales training at a kickoff. Like it's, you got way too much other stuff being dumped on people. And also it shouldn't be just for sales. It should be for the organization. Like it should be a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a gathering, right? Almost like, you know, the holiday party, so to speak. You know, that being said, if you understand what your team, you know, if we do a kickoff, I want the team to be better at blank, blank, and blank. Mm-hmm. You need to define what that is. And then based on that, you don't even have to ask, well, legal, what do you want? Marketing, what do you want? Sales, what do you want? And then someone has to kind of scrum that and say, no, we're not doing all those things. Here's what we're, you know, we'll take these pieces from everybody. I think the expectation of what should come out of it is always misaligned, like many things in sales. I'm okay with it if you understand what you're really trying to do and not trying to turn it into, oh my God, it's January. Now we don't have to do anything else, you know? And I think if you want to do the, theoretically, do you do more presidents clubs and less of an SKO? Like, do you have a presence club every quarter or every six months so that more people can partake and attempt to go feels more motivational than sales kickoff? You know, um, our good friend, I don't know if you guys have had Tito on, but Tito Bort's a, a guy who runs an organization and he has quarterly kickoff, quarterly 
president's clubs where they do sort of like leave on Thursday, come back Sunday, and they have to go within like three hours. I think they're based out of Miami. So it's got to be somewhere relatively close, Hmm. but you know, that can be the Bahamas. It can be Mexico. I mean, there's a lot of places they can go for 72 hours. So, you know, for Scott and I, and, and KG, I still don't know why you haven't come. We're leaving tomorrow to go to Costa Rica. And those are four day events. Like, you know, it can be done. Something cool and intimate and motivational can be done that doesn't have to be in Vegas, you know, for four days, which is also a colossal waste of like drunkenness, right? (laughs) Hey, let's get everybody to educate them. And then let's send them where there's plenty of hookers and blow and booze and opportunity for anybody to make a complete ass of themselves. Yeah, but big mistake. And then you got to fire a producer. (laughs) There's always one. There's always one. There really yeah. is. Well, on the on the topic of uh, of mistakes, you know, and colossal errors, what are some of the the biggest sales leadership mistakes you guys have made? Well, I, I completely shanked one of the the roles that I took as a VP of sales. I was only there for about eight months. Uh, I did a lousy job vetting the opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. The executive leadership wasn't what I thought it was. The product wasn't nearly as market ready as uh, I was kind of led to believe. Uh, I put myself in a position where I had virtually no power, no authority to get anything done. Mm -hmm. And this was not my first VP of sales gig. This was my third. Mm -hmm. So what happened was... I think I got so overconfident and arrogant thinking like I can turn water into wine, basically. Like you just give me anything. I can figure out how to sell it and make Mm -hmm. it happen Mm -hmm. that I uh, didn't invest enough time and energy and take seriously enough, like all the other elements that may make a business successful and just thought, well, just put all the weight on me. Like I'll make it happen. That's a big, big mistake. And, and, uh, huge like fork in the road moment for me because I really changed my behavior and process from that point forward when I when I took on the next three VP of sales gigs that I and you know took it a lot more serious and I I try to educate people about this you know all the time and not make the same kind of mistake that I did so that's the one that like massively stands out to me yeah now no but just now summarize for me though if you were to wind the clock back what specifically would you do differently make sure the product was um go to market ready, make sure that I had authority to make changes on existing team members um, and not get blocked by nepotism uh, along the way, make sure that the CEO and the other executives were more interested in getting things done rather than talking about things that might get done. Those are, those are three Real I love it. Richard, what's, what say you, some of the biggest leadership make mistakes? Well, I think the first one was all going back to my own psychology where I actually did think I knew it all. Like I, I was millennials had, you know, the joke is they're entitled. No, you don't know what entitled was to you met Richard Harris. When I went by Ricky, by the way, at the age of like 24, 25. And I thought I knew everything and I commanded and walked around like that. I then got my first job with a, with a fun company but they rewarded that level of arrogance. So it just got worse. And so that to me was hard to unlearn. And to that part of where I was joking about Scott, like, oh my God, Scott, stop asking that person all those questions about what motivates them. Like that's the hangover I still have in me from those days. 
because it was STF, you get back on the phone. That was one. I think the other one was, and KG, I called you about this one a long time ago. I just started consulting, maybe been doing about a year. And I got seduced by the tech. I got seduced by the technology and the technology was great. In fact, their company, their competitors are doing phenomenal. And the negotiation was so hard with this founder and mm-hmm. he was a tech founder and, mm-hmm. you know, was this, this tech founder who thinks they can read the book all over the weekend. And then all of a sudden they know everything about sales, right? Like, <laughs> you know, don't, you know, they just read, never split the difference. And now they can go and outperform. You know, I tried to do what Scott did. I said to him, what is my authority? Do I have a budget to go and buy these tools? And every answer was yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to go in, this was back in the day when you could get like HubSpot open email tool for like 10 bucks a user. I had to have an hour meeting with me and the co-founder and the COO yeah. of a 10 person company to get two licenses to this thing. And so it just got really bad and they, re- you know, they even recognized it wasn't the right thing. And, and I, you know, quote unquote, was let go and I should have fought harder for a bigger severance. But, um, but that was my mistake. And I, and I see this all the time about tech founders. And I talk about this now of like, you know, one, if you're a tech founder, you got to understand just because you got the first three deals from friends and family does not make you a salesperson. It makes you recognize the, the driver for revenue and that it, what a good conversation is, but, you know, those tech founders don't understand that people are buying them and their brain more than they are the product or the service. So that was probably my biggest mistake was getting seduced by the tech. Um, you know, sadly, KG gave me the, the advice to go take the job if the tech's that good. So um, I, you. <laughs> I know. Well, look, I, I've made tons of mistakes. Pete, we talk about hundred years of mistakes, Pete. And that's, uh, I, I tell, I mentor people um, all, all the time and I tell them, and it's not just because of the employment situation, you know, labor shortage that we're dealing with right now. You know, Scott and Richard, I tell these, uh, tell these people, whether sales leaders or, or AEs, you deserve to interview the shit out of the people that you're, that you're meeting with. You interviewing them, you have a seat at the table, you look at them yep. eye to eye. Thousand you, percent. You have to ask them the tough questions. And I don't say that just because, you know, we have such a, um, you know, uh, such, so employee centric right now. Mm-hmm. Anytime you still deserve to ask all those questions. Uh, yep. Otherwise, you'll find yourself in a, in a role where you're like, God, I really wish I would have learned that before I started. <laughs> yes. You know? And you'll still run into that. Of course. You know? I, I know people who are still running in, they're asking all the questions, they're making it down to the final candidate. And what ends up happening is they've asked all the right questions. They end up going with the internal person because it's less expensive, right? And they would rather pay someone less and let them grow mm-hmm. than bring in someone who knows what to do and get them there faster. Yeah. yeah. So. You've both been VPs multiple times. We may have some new sales managers or new directors that just got promoted up to VP. Do you have any suggestions for them? My suggestion would be once you get to the VP level, you better understand what your opportunity is and what you're signing up for. Don't don't let a CRO shove a number down your throat. What what, what do you guys say? I'm going to answer first because Scott literally just wrote this book. You're more than a number. And I know you didn't tee it up for that, but I've read that book and and saw it early on. And the genius of Scott is 
one of them is that he is ability to take these thoughts that we've all had and articulate them and go, oh man, I kind of knew 80% of that, but holy shit, now it's really organized and I know what to do. So that's the first thing I would tell people to do. If you're new, and even if you're an individual contributor and you're thinking about management, this is the book you need to read to make you go, all right, do I really want to do this? Because he, he, you, you know, he does a brilliant job of talking about you know, the quote unquote, the bad, but also the good. Like, and he makes you realize very simple things. Like, are you willing to put your compensation in the hands of other people? And by doing that, are you willing to do the motivation that's necessary to reach that? And so he just articulates it really well. So that's the first thing I would say. The other thing I would say is, and I was terrible. This was probably one of my biggest mistakes is I never thought I needed a mentor. You know, I, I got my first mentor when the pandemic hit right at the age of 50. First time I ever said to someone, can you be my mentor? And that was a biggest mistake probably in my career uh, because I thought I knew it all. I was not willing to accept advice. Even as I got better at a consultant and giving advice, I still thought I knew it all. So my ego gets in my way. I appreciate the the plug and the and the kind words, but yeah, that I mean, the book more than a number is literally about the life and times of the, v, of the VP of sales. Like, the so good and bad and ugly. You know, I tried to talk about some things that you don't hear about very often, some things you consider. And then more specifically, like now you have the job, what exactly do you need to do? One of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is they immediately kind of default to like, I have to get revenue to justify my existence. And they never take the time to build a foundation and a playbook and document what works and what doesn't work. So I'm a huge proponent of like, let's spend the time to truly identify our ICP and understand all of our different buyer personas. And let's write a cold call pitch and write a demo pitch and write an inbound pitch and build a competitive landscape. And what are the objections we're going to run into? And what's the best rebuttals for those? Let's write out all our email cadences and sequences. Let's figure out what KPIs and data we're going to track. Like people don't do that fucking work for two reasons. Number one, because it's really hard and really boring. But number two, they get hired and have pressure so often, internal and external pressure to immediately put up numbers. Exactly. They just go chase the dollar sign. And then you're you're stuck because even if you have some success, that success begets higher expectations and you never take the time to go build this foundation. So you're, you're succeeding on a house of cards. That's right. Slow down to speed up, man. Yeah. There's the other thing I'd like to, I'll chime in on it. And Scott, and I think all of you could might articulate it better than I can. One of the biggest mistakes is you go from IC to manager or manager to director or director to VP, depending on what part of the world you're in, is misunderstanding and getting seduced by equity. Right. Right. And Scott just laughed because he's like, he knows, he talks about this on a much more regular basis with people he coaches. Don't let that fool you because there really is no money in that equity. You fight as hard as you can for the more equity and as hard as you can for a bigger salary because you will get fucked hardcore <laughs> financially <laughs> if you aren't choosing the right company or the right leadership. And believe me, between nine months and 12 months, if things are going, eh, don't be surprised when they decide to escort you out the door because they don't want you to get your 25%. But as a manager, and I think I've, I think I've heard, learned more about this from Scott because I've been out of management for so long. Like the equity is not really there. 
you know what, your equity as a manager is if it's successful, you get to take the equity of that story and compound that interest more than the equity of the deal. So anyway, I don't know if Scott, if you want to chime in on that one or not, but. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things, that's one of the points of consideration, whether you should even take the job and get into it, you know, and, and that story has been misrepresented so many times for so many years. You know, we're going to give you 10,000 shares and you're going to be a millionaire. Have you ever stopped and done that math? Yeah, that's not going to work, right? So really just making sure people understand that. And there are big time sales leaders out there that I know, and I'm sure some of you know, you would be shocked and blown away how little equity they got for building whatever company they were that early head of sales for or the mid-stage, growth stage kind of VP of sales. So you really need to understand like that game. And, and at some point, if you're lucky, you get an event of some kind, but it's about all these other things along the way. And, and if you want to have a successful stint as a VP of sales, like you've got to build this foundation that we're talking about. That's why so many companies get to, you know, one, two, three, four million dollars in revenue and then die off and stall out and they're just flat because they can't replicate that early success. Everything's locked away in people's brain and they can't go backwards. Guys, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you guys or connect with you? Uh, Scott, I'll start with you. You know, Richard and I run a, a sales conference called Surf and Sales. You can check out the website, surfandsales.com. Uh, it has a podcast associated with it as well, but we take um, a couple groups of 20 people three, four times a year down to Costa Rica and do sales, sales leadership, training and conferences and uh, a lot of surfing, a lot of good food and a lot of kind of deep experiential networking. I uh, co-founded a business with my friend, Amy Bolas called Thursday Night Sales. So every Thursday night, you can come hang out with 150 plus people from all over the world who show up and ask questions. And, uh, you know, we've got a big revenue community now there. And, and I'm super active on LinkedIn. If anybody wanted to reach out and connect with me there, I, I respond to everybody and if you're looking, if you're a founder or an early VP of sales and you're looking for help going zero to 60, so to speak, that's my bread and butter. That's what I do in my consulting business. So check me out. Happy to help if anybody uh, is in need. Richard? I, I just pick up all the crumbs that Scott leaves behind. Um, that's where you can contact me. So, uh, no, uh, you can find me at, at uh, on LinkedIn. I'm the crazy one who does this. 415 596-9149-415-596-9149. Text me or call me. I love putting my phone number out there because people rarely ever do. So feel free to text me and just say, hey, I heard you on the Sassholes podcast. I want to see if you're real because yes, it's really me. But find me on LinkedIn. And if you are in need of teaching your sales reps how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask and when to do it, that's what I do as a, as a sales leader and sales trainer. I think that's probably the easiest way. Or you can, you know what, call, call Kevin Gaither. It's like, you know, call KG here. He'll, he'll get right, you in touch right. with us. <laughs> so. Scott and Richard, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank oh, you. It was a pleasure, man. This is, I think we were putting in the chat, like this is literally the best podcast I think I've ever been a part of. Like, <laughs> uh, well, I'm we'll sitting here going, oh my God, Scott, they're doing this way better than us. And we've done 280 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> We should, we should do a deep dive on, on your recent book, Scott, and uh, you, you two. Oh, what, yeah. what do you guys think? Deep dive. Real deep dive. So we'll talk about that later. Pete, take us home, man. 
I'm in. Hey, thanks for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of Jamie, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. We ask that you give us five stars in Apple Podcasts, subscribe to our newsletter. All the contact information for everybody will be in the podcast notes. And hey, if you really, really, really like us, you can buy us a beer on uh, Patreon slash Sassholes. Cue the music. Yo, yo. Yo. What up, KG? Yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So far. You guys are so recording far. already? Yeah, he, you know. Oh, so, yeah, man. Some, sometimes, sometimes people say stuff before you know, the show gets going. Yeah. And he, he likes to put little yeah. Easter eggs into, the, into it, is, you know. This is actually the only good part of the show. That's <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Hey, the, the, first, the, the first few moments where everybody's just loose and like, hey, what are we doing? Fuck if I know. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, Pete uh, Pete Jansen's Please Meet uh, Scott Lease. Scott. How are you, sir? Nice to meet don't you. Call me, don't call me, sir. I work for a living. We're trying to get out of that, right? Aren't we all <laughs> trying to get out of this working thing? Yes, Hell yeah. Are. Yes, we are. I'm just excited. I'm just excited that this is a podcast where I don't have to take any notes because Scott's always too fucking lazy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. He's, we all we all have a role to play. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my role is to be Scott's bitch. So, oh my god! <laughs> oh, no, no, you're you're the business. So, Richard, uh, is it Richard or do I call you Dick? Yeah, definitely call him Dicky. As long as you call me, as long as you call me Mr. Big beforehand. Mr. Big, yeah, that's good. What's up, brother? How are you? What's going on? I'm going to do my treadmill and be that annoying guy while we do this today. I can't believe it. Put on a heart rate monitor at the same time, will you? Oh yeah, if my you, god! If, if you go down, is there any number you want us to call? Well, I'm he's good. got a life hey. alert thing. The the ambulance will be there in you know three <laughs> exactly. minutes or less. I got fallen. the thing that says I've fallen and I can't get up. The life alert. Pete, uh, Richard, and I are fraternity brothers. Yes. Really? Yes. Which fraternity is that? Zeta Beta Tau. Yeah, ZBT. Zeta Beta Tau. Yeah, which, by the way, KG, we got uh, kicked off campus again for like the you, fifth time in my life. You, you were at AS, ASU or uh, Arizona? U of A. Scott was at ASU. We we got kicked off, we got kicked off at UC Davis long yeah. long ago and we ain't never coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you teach us the secret handshake? It's the same for everybody. It's the same. It really is. Like I talk to every attorney, I'm like, "What's your handshake?" Like, oh yeah, this is our handshake too. So, okay. Well, who's gonna do the uh, who's gonna do the intro over there? Who who's got a little bit more you know pep in the step to do the. Uh, I think these guys are sharp enough where it's like, hi, this is Scott. Hi, this is Richard. And then together, you listen to the sassholes. They're oh, really my God. Smart. And Jesus. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> All right. I'm going gonna, gonna to put myself on mute because I'm going to start laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Make it fun. You'll, you'll double the download count. Absolutely. Right. We'll, go from, we'll go from two listeners to four. Right. I was going to say three, but all right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, seriously, you want us to do the intro? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Give it. All right.
And that's um, their show. They invite you on the show and then you do all the work for them. See, this is, and Scott's sitting back going, Richard's going to do this. I don't have to do this. I know Richard's going to do this. So hold on. Do you have any sponsors I need to mention? No, no. Just hi, this is. And then Scott, you can go. Then Richard say hi, this is. And then together you're listening to the Sassholes or whatever. So wait, wait, are you? You want me to do, let me do this. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Christ. All right. Yeah. You just walk over there. You just keep walking. All right. You ready? Let's do it. What's up, everybody? This is Scott Lease. I am here with my good friend, Richard Harris, and we are on the Sassholes. And we're here to, I don't know. Now I lost it. I got the beginning part. I don't yeah, know. I would, I say, let me do it, Todd. And this is the, by the way, don't edit any of this shit out. Like, this is <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. You can see oh, no, how no, this terrible is, we are. This is, this is standard. Oh, big It's all gold. Like, yeah. Like, how, do, how do these people run any kind of business whatsoever? I have no idea. Hey, everybody. It's Richard Harris and my friend Scott Weiss. Uh, we are excited here today, uh, not because we're doing a surf and sales podcast, but this is finally one well. Theoretically, we thought we weren't going to have to work, but since it's the Sassholes podcast, they asked us to do the introduction. So uh, thank you so much to the Sassholes. And um, I guess this means we're honorary members, Scott. I mean, do we, yeah. do, do we even get like- I think, I think, I think we're in. There's like a, there's a, there's a secret handshake and everything. We're in right. now. So anyway, I'll turn it back over to our true hosts. We're here to just answer questions. Can somebody just fucking say you're listening to the Sassholes, please? You're listening oh. to the Sassholes. You're listening please. to the Sassholes. Sorry. I thought I did, but okay. Scott, you're also an author, too. We don't have that down. Probably didn't sell too many books yet. No, three-time author. He's a three-time author. It's you just got done just... saying I was a three-time author. I wasn't going to call you out on it, but I like I was going to say, which, which, which book? Are you three-time author? You just want to come out in June, didn't you? Yeah, I, uh, I had two books come out this year. I released a book in January called uh, From Rep to Manager. And in June, I had one come out called More Than a Number. And it okay. uh, kind of completes the trilogy. Let's just More say. Than a Number, okay. Well, it's going to be fun editing. Richard oh, Harris. I don't know, Scott, did you write that introduction? Because, wow. <laughs> that They just stole that straight off of the copywriter who put it on my website. What? Hey, I've never heard you be so pompous. Richard so pompous. Harris. Oh, God. Are we starting? KG. We are, we are KG. live. All right, hands inside the cars, please. KG. <laughs> yes, sir. KG. I got some shout outs for you. But uh, but you want to do your dad joke first and we'll insert the laughter. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm reading the fucking script here and it says dad <laughs> joke next. You didn't put the notes in yourself. Come on. I can't help you. KG. Yes, sir. KG. <laughs> yes, Pete. I thought the dryer was shrinking my clothes. Turns out it was the refrigerator all along. Guys, awesome. You guys are bitching, man. Is that how you West Coast guys say it? Bitching? Right. No. Well, no. So he's in, Richard's wet is West Coast. Scott's like, you know, Southwest or Texas yeah, I, or something. I, I live in I live in Austin. Okay, let me let me Richard's from Macon, Georgia, originally. Yeah. So, Scott's, uh, Scott's from Northern California and now lives yeah, in Austin. Exactly. So. <laughs> well, I could so. say about that podcast, it was pretty, pretty, pretty good. Yeah. That, that was fun, man. Your show, really is, nice. your show is just like ours. It's basically 
part train wreck and part yeah. like substance. So now you you put like two train wrecks together, and that's what happens in the first fifteen minutes of our like, of our yeah. show. Here, you know? It's like it's like bar bar stool with a brain cell. Yeah. Right. <laughs>